What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago, growing up in the 90s, I was familiar with Chicago's who's who. You know, Micah Jordan, Oprah Winfrey, Shaka Khan. But one name that has to be on that list is Charlie Trotter. The world-renowned chef took the culinary scene by storm when he opened his Chicago restaurant in 1987. Filmmaker Rebecca Halpern chronicles Trotter's life in the new documentary, Love Charlie, The Rise and Fall of Chef Charlie Trotter. It's Monday, November 28th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. You talk about this this mythos of Trotter. I mean, at the height of his career, he's redefining cookbooks. He's redefining food photography. He's he's putting vegetables and and microgreens on the map. But but you really get behind this mythos. You know, how did Trotter learn to cook back when he was still going by the name Chuck? That's a really great question. And the answer is, to be honest, I have no idea. (laughs) I think Charlie Trotter just had, you know. There are savants in this world who seem to have, you know, who seem to have this unbelievable talent without any training whatsoever. He was obsessed over food. Let me just paint a picture, if I can, for your listeners about how much training Charlie Trotter really had. Okay, Charlie Trotter went on a backpacking trip through Europe where he ate at some of the world's best French restaurants. So he had the dining experience from the perspective of a customer. Then he went to work for a few months in a restaurant here and a few months there. And then he did a couple months at a culinary school. But it wasn't like this years long education in cooking. He got bit by the bug in college when he was 21. And by the time he was you know, 25, 26, he was already crafting the business plan for his restaurant. And he crafted his vision for food and for life in these postcards that he wrote to his first wife. And this was 356 postcards and letters. The letters and postcards started coming In fact, my roommate, I thought at the time, was uh, a little bit concerned, like I was being stalked or something. Chuck wrote me all the time. Sometimes you'd get six in a day. He would just fill up the entire paper he had to write on. No one could write as small and as intense. He would viciously cross out things. There were quotes, there were jokes, there were little drawings. 
it would he also had this idea that he felt like he was starring in his own movie he had this sense of himself as a kind of character in life and what we argue in the movie is that before he opened the movie he went by chuck everyone who knew him in his life called him before he opened the restaurant right and when they were thinking about what to name the restaurant, everybody thought Chuck Trotter sounded like a steakhouse. It wasn't formal enough for what he was trying to accomplish. But he knew that if he were to name it Charlie Trotters, that this would be a persona, a new role that he would have to play in order to make the restaurant successful. I mean, it's pretty epic, the story. When you think back, though, to when the doors are opening in 1987, he never ran a restaurant before. So was it a big deal when it opened? And at that time, before the lights, before the fame, before Oprah? Well, first of all, nobody knew who he was when he opened his restaurant. All the French chefs in Chicago, and back then in Chicago, if you weren't French, you were nobody. All the French chefs, his mom says it in the film, Who, who's this young whippersnapper coming in here to open this restaurant? Also, Charlie Trotter grew up in a very privileged environment. His father bankrolled the restaurant for him. And people resented him for that because they thought, you know, who's this entitled kid coming in here thinking he can compete with the big guy? Did dogs? a little European trip and been in a couple kitchens and now you think we can redefine food Please, in Chicago. That was like the most luxurious backpacking trip through through Europe that any kid could ever. <laughs> I mean, eating at three Michelin star restaurants, which is the highest rating you can get as a as a restaurant. Crazy. On the other hand... His food was so undeniably excellent. His obsession with fine ingredients and providing service and giving diners the most memorable meal of their lives was evident. You really, in the documentary, do a great job of talking to his friends, family, former employees who either went out on good terms or, or some really bad terms. What were some of the things they told you about Trotter that were maybe the most surprising? Well, I think for me, the biggest interview that gave us sort of the biggest glimpse into Charlie's professional persona was with Grant Ackett's who is the re owner, founding chef of Alinea Restaurant in Chicago. I never knew if, if we were friends or we were enemies. And I think we were kind of both. And I think he wanted it that way. In a weird way, he was making me, like, want to beat him. The thing that struck me the most about that was this cyclical nature you know, of, of what Charlie went through, being this kid who exploded on the scene with this new kind of cooking, to being the top dog, to then being taken down a peg, you know. Um, now, the, the journey that Grant paints in terms of his experience with Charlie was being obsessed with Charlie through his cookbooks and being seduced by him. You know, getting in the kitchen and realizing, wait, this guy's not what I thought he was. Then going on to sort of take his place as the best restaurant in Chicago. You know, when Michelin finally came to Chicago in 2010, they gave Charlie two stars and they gave Grant three. Someone once told me, 
Madison might as well be another country, much less a part of Wisconsin. Is it all the protests at the Capitol? The fiery public meetings? The spicy craft cocktails? My bet? It's all the people who walk their cats. I'm Bianca Martin, and I'm the host of the new CityCast Madison podcast. Give us 15 minutes of your morning and we'll keep you up to date on city news and culture each weekday. I'm proud of this city and I want it to be better. We face serious issues like systemic racism, unaffordable rents, and the fate of our democracy. But then again, we also have UW scientists unlocking the secrets of our universe and kids on unicycles parading down Willie Street. Here on CityCast Madison, we're going to talk about all of it with newsmakers, artists, business owners, scientists, and local weirdos. You'll even hear from our partners over at Madison Minutes, the daily local newsletter that makes your life easier. I think there's never been a city more ready for a podcast like this. So come join us for your daily dose of Madison. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Boom. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patient smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you could transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts, your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's shown in the doc a lot, this transformation from Chuck to Charlie. And, you know, we can call it a persona, but the impact it had on people, either in the kitchen or in the media, it, you know, it, it was real. And now that you've done the process, was that reputation earned or or do you think the media was a little heavy handed? Where do you kind of draw that line? I think the media is totally heavy handed. Um, maybe not totally, because he said the stuff himself. So um, there was a a big, big issue that came, you know, that came up that we show in the film about foie gras. Uh, there was a whole brouhaha about that. Charlie Trotter had stopped serving foie gras. And foie gras is considered a delicacy, but it's produced by force feeding ducks and geese until their liver swell. Uh, it's considered to be inhumane in the doc. You all talk about, you know, Charlie's uh, protest to this method and not wanting to use it in his kitchen. 
a reporter from the Chicago Tribune decides to call around town to see how people felt about it. I called a lot of the chefs around the city, and most of them said no, they had not personally banned foie gras. So I talked to Charlie Trotter afterwards, and I sort of gave him the reactions of various people, saying that he was a little hypocritical, including Rick Tremonto. He used to work for Charlie Trotter. He was there in the early days. Charlie Trotter said, well, you know, Rick Tremonto's not the smartest guy on the block. I mean, just because you raise animals to kill them and eat them doesn't mean they should suffer. It's kind of an idiot comment. You know, he can't be that dumb, is he? You know, maybe we should serve up Rick's liver for a little treat. It's certainly fat enough. I feel like in our society, we are paying more attention to the restaurant industry, especially going through the pandemic. We see how many people resign because of being burned out. But it also feels even through Trotter's own exploits, the way he was able to parody himself in movies. You know, do you think we we make excuses for genius, especially when it comes to restaurant tours? Because it seems like we've just accepted that as a, a stereotype. I think that if you want to be pushed to be excellent and you worked in that Charlie Trotter kitchen, you wouldn't feel like you were being abused. You would feel like you were being challenged in a good way. I think if you don't see the world in the way Charlie Trotter does or all the people who stuck with him for decades because they loved him, then you would think it was toxic. And so the question I wanted to ask in this movie is, what is cancelable? What is toxic about pushing people to succeed? And why do we live in a culture where just because somebody's not pushing you the way you want to be pushed, that gives you the right to cancel them? He just knew that it takes a lot (laughs) to make it happen there, and it's kind of do or die. The anxiety, it's like a big virus that goes around and just consumes everyone. The front of the house would change the music in the restaurant when he walked in the door so that the whole place knew that he was in the building. There'd be days where he'd be like, can you hear that? I'd be like, what is that, chef? He's like, it's a shitstorm and it's coming your way. He was the puppeteer. He figured out a way to get exactly what he wanted from all of us. I mean, he wasn't necessarily canceled. He was able to use his power pretty much through through his career too, as you said, you know, turn people away to maybe make and break careers to say who was and wasn't dead to him. So, you know, I I completely understand where you come from as somebody who themselves is very obsessive and has been in environments and pushed to, to, to excellence. I can make sense of that, but I also have to, to wonder were there people who said, you know, I I don't want to talk in this documentary that I don't want to relive those memories. That was too much for me. I mean, we had as many people say they didn't want to talk to us because of the the bad work experience that they had, and as they did people who wanted to protect his legacy because they loved the work experience. Don't get me wrong. You're dealing with a group of people. Each It's like being on a team. It's a coach's job to figure out what makes each person tick and to push them in a way that gets what you need to get out of them in order to succeed at that level. Um, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. If you don't like the way you're being coached, quote unquote coached in that moment by your chef, you go find a different kitchen that'll hire you. And I guarantee, I can tell you right now, especially right today, kitchens are suffering for not having enough staff. What was, why, why did all those people stick around? 
And then when he died, why did all the people who criticized him for having a toxic kitchen then come out and ride his coattails to talk about their experience in the press to promote their own restaurants? I think there's we have to be careful. And these days there's we're just philosophically we're conflating, you know, that kind of hard charging push for excellence with abusive, toxic culture. And I don't think that enough of the responsibility for how that treatment's being received is being taken by the receivers. You know, in such a male dominated space, you know, did did Charlie go out of his way to bring women or, or, you know, black and brown people into the kitchen to make sure it was a, a more inclusive space? Charlie's kitchen was uber diverse. He was an equal opportunity employer in every way. His head pastry chef, Michelle Geyer, she was amazing. Della Gossett, who... Um, is a woman of Asian descent. She was a pastry chef for him and has gone on to become the executive pastry chef at Spago. Uh, Reggie Watkins, we tell Reggie's story and where there was, you know, Reggie had a legion of people working with him um, from all walks of life. And I think that Charlie Trotter didn't, you know, he didn't care. He cared about who you were as a person, what drove you, what was your POV on life. What is something you hope viewers learn watching this documentary about Charlie Trotter? I think I want people to walk away from watching this movie, thinking about how they can be, how are they excellent in their own lives? What excellence means to them. You know, a lot of people say Charlie Trotter was a perfectionist. That couldn't be further from the truth. He hated perfection. It was, perfection was boring to him. He considered himself an excellencist. This is a word that he invented that's all about the process. It's about the love and care that you pour into every single thing you do every day. Did you ever eat at Charlie Trotter's? Um, I never ate at Charlie Trotter's, but one of the things that Charlie did that was kind of um, new-ish was he opened a to-go place where he had pre-made foods. And the only Thanksgiving dinner that I ever made for my dad myself, well, I didn't even make it. I picked it up from Trotter's to-go. My dad passed away um, 11 years ago. And so um, I hosted this Thanksgiving dinner at my apartment and I had this little 24 inch stove and all it would fit was one turkey. I couldn't fit any sides or anything in there. And so I picked it up from Trotter's and I made, you know, I heated it up and I made it and it was out of this world. And, um, my mom actually cooked in his kitchen for a night. So, and, and she sent me his library of cookbooks. He has 14 cookbooks and in it, he's actually inscribed uh, a saying to her, um, after love, there's only cuisine. That's really sad. You know, after mm. love, there's only cuisine. Rebecca, thank you again for joining us on CityCast Chicago. The documentary Love Charlie, The Rise and Fall of Chef Charlie Trotter is available now and streaming. We appreciate you here at CityCast Chicago. Jacoby, I appreciate the depth and breadth of, of our conversation. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. 
Today is the filing deadline for the municipal election in February. So anybody hoping to run for mayor, city clerk, treasurer, city council, or the newly created police district councils has to get those signatures in today. To learn more about the police district council's race, check out our recent episode at the link in the show notes. Tomorrow is Giving Tuesday, a day dedicated to giving back, volunteering, and making donations. Newsletter writer Sidney Madden has some good suggestions for you in today's Hey Chicago. Subscribe at chicago.citycast.fm slash newsletter. For my Hyde Park neighbors, Harper Theater is closing Wednesday for remodeling and is expected to reopen early next year. Long as they keep heavy pouring them drinks, we gonna be good. And some good news to get you through. I've been hearing Mariah Carey for at least a month, but now that the turkeys and tofurkeys have been carved, Santa sightings are picking up. You can catch them at the Roscoe Village Winterfest this weekend. Bring the little kids in your life, grab some hot chocolate, and maybe even pick up some early gifts from the local shops. As always, we appreciate you for listening. If you want to share a little extra City Cash Chicago love today, go ahead and remember to nominate us for Best Podcast and Best Newsletter for the Chicago Reader's Best of 2022 list. I'm going to talk to you all tomorrow. Peace. Hey, with the podcast, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to run it back to back. And next year, maybe we can even be like Jordan and Pippen with the, the back to back to back. Hey, a brother can dream, right?